We're on. Okay. Well, good evening, Payson Bible Church. Uh, glad that you're joining us uh, this evening, and um, hopefully we have a, a good number of people tuned in because we're going to start off tonight's Q&A time with a couple of announcements uh, before we get into the questions from our different studies. And the first announcement that we're going to share with you is a relatively big announcement, all things considered, and it has to do with getting back into this building. We uh, have decided here in the last few days, uh, kind of putting together all that we know from what the government's been telling us, what health officials have been telling us, what we've been able to see online, and what we've been able to comprehend about this whole virus situation, we've decided that starting on Sunday, May 3rd, we are going to start having services in our building again. Now, that being said, we can't and shouldn't just jump right back into it and go back to the way things have always been because uh, things aren't the way they've always been right now. We're not back to normal as a society yet. We are still dealing with uh, the ramifications of this whole outbreak, and we're still trying to figure out as a society uh, what we're going to do. And uh, you've probably heard President Trump and others talk about uh, a phased rollout, how there's a phase one, two, and three, and different states can participate in that based on how their governors assess their particular situations. And we're doing something similar. Uh, we are going to come back into our building in a somewhat phased rollout. Uh, or I guess you could say roll in because we're coming back into the building. Uh, so the, the first thing that we're going to do starting on Sunday, May 3rd, is that we are going to meet here for our main corporate worship service at 10 a.m. So January, whatever the first Sunday was in January, January 3rd or whatever it was, we started doing Sunday services at a new time. And here we are again, doing Sunday services at a new time again. We, we went to 1045, then we went to 9 a.m., and now we're going to 10 a.m. Uh, and we're actually going to start that this coming Sunday with our online service. Our, our final online uh, sermon uh, will be this Sunday, and it'll be at 10 a.m. And then starting Sunday, May 3rd, it will be right here at 10 a.m. And then we're also going to start meeting here on Wednesday nights at 7, and that will be on um, uh, Wednesday, May 6th at 7 o'clock. So uh, Sunday, May 3rd, here at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m., and Wednesday, May 6th at 7 p.m. Now, uh, here are all the asterisks that come after that because we have nine things in a list that are like, we're meeting here, but, okay? So uh, here's how it's going to be different than normal. First, there will be no Sunday school or nursery ministries at this time. We believe that particularly because of uh, the children, how quickly these things spread among children and how vulnerable those populations are, that it would be best to postpone both the Sunday school ministries and nursery until further notice. Secondly, in accordance with that, there will be no playground use or shared meals or snacks at the church. So even though we're here, we can't go onto the playground and, and have children mixing around uh, just like they would in the nursery. We're, we're not going to allow that outside either. Thirdly, we want people to be especially attentive to their health. This is similar to cold and flu season, but we want to pay particular interest 
to the sickness that we all might have right now. And if you're feeling sick, you should stay home. We don't want any sick people to risk it at all because we have to realize that it's not just about the sick person. It's not just about us individually, but it's about the other people at church who may get infected. And it's also about our church's reputation in the community. If we're going to do this and be one of the first organizations to start getting together and one of the first churches in the county to start getting together, we certainly want to do this right. We don't want to uh, just be really loose with it and then end up having our name in the newspaper for all the wrong reasons, all right? So we want to be especially attentive to our health. Fourthly, we won't be providing gloves or masks here at the church, but we do welcome their use for anybody who wishes to wear them. So if you feel comfortable coming to the church, uh, by all means, if you're more comfortable wearing a mask and gloves, do that. Uh, you might look like you're getting ready to go into surgery, but that's okay. We won't judge you. And I bet there will be someone else who looks like uh, he's getting ready to go into surgery. So it'll be okay uh, if you do that. Fifthly, the chairs may not be moved closer together than arranged by leadership, and all interaction must take into account social distancing wisdom. So in our auditorium right now, you won't be able to see it when the camera comes back to me, but in our auditorium right now, we've begun spacing out chairs. This looks super weird. Uh, as we were moving them around and like standing back and looking, we were thinking, there's just no way to make this look right. Uh, it doesn't look like our normal auditorium. But uh, we do have seats in here, and we do have them spaced out. We're trying to keep uh, seats, uh, or I should say seat clumps, six feet away from each other. So not every individual seat is six feet away from the next individual seat, uh, but each clump is six feet away from the next clump. And we don't want you to move those chairs, all right? We've included various clump sizes. So some of them are just two-seaters, and some of them are five-seaters or six-seaters. Uh, so when you come into the room, you kind of find a clump that's for your household, whether that's one person or five people, and you grab your clump, okay? Uh, don't move the chairs. Sixthly, a sanitizer station will be available for all to use in the lobby. We will have some hand sanitizer here. We will take out a loan for a million dollars and go buy a one-gallon jug of hand sanitizer, and we'll have that here at the church for anybody to use, and we encourage using that. Seventh, we will take communion, but it will be different, okay? What you'll need to do when it's communion time on a Sunday morning, and we plan on taking communion on Sunday, May 3rd, what you need to do is listen carefully to the instructions given at that time by whoever is presiding over the supper. So Tyler is going to be leading that on Sunday, May 3rd, and if it uh, we have communion again while all these guidelines are still in place, you'll just need to listen carefully to whoever's presiding because the rules are going to be particular. And it'll be weird, but we're, we're taking a step closer uh, back to the way we've always done things and the way we should do things. Eighth, not all will be comfortable with entering the church building, and we, we get that, okay? So if you're not comfortable coming back into the church building, what you should do is follow your conscience and be free of judgment in that. Uh, we won't judge you. And the people who do come into the building need to make a commitment not to judge anybody who doesn't come into the building. Our goal is to show grace to one another in love, all right? This this totally is uh, just an open thing. It's not like uh, normal times still. 
So we're not going to hold Hebrews 10.25 over you that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You better get back to church because the doors are open now. Uh, We're not going to do that, okay? These times still aren't normal quite yet. We're getting there, but we're not there yet. And so anybody who doesn't feel comfortable coming into the building should feel free from all judgment to stay home and, and follow their consciences, okay? And then finally... All visitors to our church will be given this sheet, and you're going to get it in your email tomorrow, and it'll be on our Facebook page, and it'll be everywhere. Okay, All visitors who come into the building are going to get a copy of this sheet, and they will be expected to embrace the guidelines that are, that are listed out here for everyone's safety. So, uh, you know, we're announcing this to you now. We're going to be giving this out to you, this sheet. And you might wonder, yeah, what if someone comes in who isn't a part of our church? Uh, what do we do with that person? Well, we're going to make sure that that person gets a copy of this sheet, and that person is going to be you know, monitored by church leadership to make sure that that person's uh, following the guidelines, just like we're going to have to be looking at everybody and kind of uh, you know, poking and prodding gently with love to, to stay in line with these guidelines, okay? Now, we're not telling you don't shake hands. We're not telling you don't hug. We're not telling you don't talk to one another. We're saying follow your conscience, We're opening the building, we're spacing out the chairs, we're encouraging that you practice wisdom and all the things that you're doing when you're on our property, but we're not going to be like uh, Nazis around here telling you what you can and can't do and what you can and can't say and all that stuff, okay? Um, We want you to come here to get encouragement as your conscience allows. That's what we want. Now, maybe you're somewhere in between where you think, I want to be there, but I don't want people you know, being close to me and all that, because I might not be comfortable with that just yet. We would just encourage you, come in at the last minute and leave right away, if that's you. You can totally do that. Or just tell people. Um, And I know it might be a little awkward for you, but really the best thing you can do, both for you and for everyone else, is just say, I'm not not ready yet. And again, this is a judgment-free zone here on this. We're not uh, going to hold that against you. We're not going to say that you're less of a Christian or anything like that, all right? So you can you can totally just say, I'm not ready, and uh, we won't give you a big holy kiss right on the smacker, okay? We'll, we'll hold back uh, until times get normal, and then we'll start kissing again, okay? So uh, I hope that was uh, clear for you. Like I said, we're going to send this out, so you'll have it. It'll be in your email. It'll be on your Facebook. If for whatever reason you don't get it, you don't see it, contact me. We'll get it to you. We'll have lots of physical copies of it here at the church, and uh, those will be available to you as well. So that's the first big announcement for you, and now uh, Tyler and Mark are going to talk a little bit about our graduation fundraiser and give you some updates on that. So, you know, we didn't talk about the kissing part in our elderly. <laughs> All right, so fundraising. We are so excited about the fundraising uh, that we're getting ready to start or already have started. We have a great uh, kickstart to the fundraiser. And we just wanted to kind of go over uh, again what we're raising money for and then kind of how we're going to uh, show the updates and how this is going to work. So. There's five areas that we're looking to raise money for right now, and the new road sign is one of a, obviously a major thing, especially when we get ready to change our name uh, this fall, we want to be able to obviously put that up on there, 
on the road and have it classy and nice and be able to, uh, for people to see it well. Your family says, speak up. My family says, we'll go, I'll go read it. You say it's not, it's not often what my family says. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so the next, uh, so the roadsides are very obviously important. We're going to be raising money. And I'm going to talk about uh, this, all of these combined here in just a second. Uh, new website and app, that's going to be important to, uh, to get out and roll out. Let me move over here to, there we go. Is that better? I hope so. All right. So a new website and app uh, is going to be important as we begin to do uh, new and exciting things at our church. And then promotional uh, material right now, obviously all of our promotional material that we have has Pace and Bible Church on it, and we're going to want to change that uh, to our new name. So uh, that's going to be an undertaking and obviously a cost. And then uh, technology updates, and that, that varies in, in several different areas, but there's definitely going to be some cost. There's some cost to our uh, PA booth and our computers and different... Um, Website things that we're going to need to do uh, to upgrade and and um, make things flow easier and be easier to um, to minister and to to reach out to to our community. And then the last thing is our and not any means by least is our um, reserve fund, which is a very important aspect of any church, any household, right? We all have savings. We all have a rainy day fund or anything. We have a reserve fund here at the church, which is a very important part of a healthy church is to have a healthy reserve fund in case anything were to go uh, wrong or that we have a major leak or any kind of thing that we would need uh, a, a reserve fund for or giving. Or we have uh, church members that leave because of job situations or whatever, and for a time being, our church decreases in size, uh, that reserve fund is going to be there to help stabilize us for a little while. And so obviously, the more that's in that reserve fund, uh, the better we be prepared for any kind of uh, unknown situation. Now, how this is going to work is in June, we are, uh, between now and June, we have a team of people that are going to be working on uh, the cost of the sign, uh, the cost of the website, and all of these uh, individual uh, things. We're going to figure out a very close range of what we need for each one of those items that I mentioned, and we're going to compile that. And I'm just going to say a number. This isn't the number, but I'm going to say a number. Let's say that that number is $5,000, okay? It could be higher, it could be lower. Whatever the number comes out, most likely will not be lower. Um, but we're just going to say for, um, for this purpose that it's going to be $5,000. What we would desire to see and what we are going to do is whatever com- our, our reserve fund is going to be... Um, let me see, how do I want to say this? It's going to be basically the same amount that our, uh, our fundraiser is. So, so if we are designed to raise uh, $5,000, then we actually want to raise ten to put in our reserve fund. Okay? So the four items that I'm listing, the, the roadside sign, the new website, the promotional, and the technology is going to be 5,000. And again, it's just a, a number for right now. Um, 
we're going to do half of whatever we get is going to go to our reserve fund. So, in essence, if we really need the 5000 we want to raise ten for our reserve fund. I hope that's making sense and how we understand that. If we only bring in $2,500, we are going to take, or if we only bring in 5000 sorry, we're going to take 2500 of that 5000 and it's going to go to reserve fund. And so it will decrease how much we're able to do uh, in our fundraising. And so we want to give out of a generous heart. We want to give because uh, God is asked us to give in his word and commanded us to give and be joyful. And all of these, if you look at all of the things that we are raising money for, it is to reach to our community. It is to further the advancement of the gospel and to be a great light and a witness to our community. And so when you think about, well, what is my gift really going to? It's going to the furtherance of the gospel uh, in, in these ways. All of these avenues are going to help us uh, reach our community and share uh, the gospel in different ways, other by sharing it through people seeing it on the sign and coming in and visiting us, our materials. Our website obviously is a great avenue to reach to people, and we want to do it well and doing it as an honor to God. And so our desire is going to be a certain dollar amount, which we are going to come out with when we know all of our for sure uh, dollars that we need for each item, and then. Our, again, if it's five thousand, we our goal is to raise ten so that we can have uh, money in our reserve fund. And just as, and I'll stop on this. But at the, what I want you to understand is, when we're done with this fundraiser, doesn't mean we're done fundraising. We're always going to be raising money and and giving to the ministry here so that we can constantly. Um, reach people with the gospel. That is our mission here, and our desire is to be able to to constantly bring in money to to be able to do and to grow and to do things that we need to uh, in the future. And so don't think that this is just a time that we're going to raise money for. We're always going to be in that heart of giving to the church and giving to God so that the ministry can constantly go forward. And that's really God's design in, in how we run uh, giving and, and the ministry is by the gifts of the members of the, of the church. And so um, if, that, if that wasn't fully clear, please ask a question in the comments, um, and we can uh, go over that again in a, in a different way. But again, uh, we're, we're focusing on the four items and really majorly focusing as well on getting that reserve fund to a very strong uh, position. And the ways that we can give, again, are, uh, there's three. You can do it online uh, through paceandbiblechurch.com slash give and click the online giving. Um, and then you can give as well through coming to church. So uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, the offering box will be back there. So you can do that. And then you can always uh, mail it to the P.O. Box um, 115. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get into your questions. We did get some of them ahead of time, but just a reminder, you can type anything in the comments that is pertinent to uh, uh, what we'd like to discuss this evening, which has to do with either one of the announcements we just uh, gave you or from Deuteronomy Acts or from our uh, lessons on giving. So we're going to jump into this um, and 
start with a few questions that we got ahead of time. The first one was from Deuteronomy, and the question has to do with chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab uh, that and turn to Deuteronomy 13. And this is a section dealing with false prophets. We covered this in the sermon here a few weeks ago. And in this section, Moses is outlining, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's outlining what we must judge all teachers by, and that's their allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Deuteronomy 13, starting at verse 1, says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you... uh, to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now the question is, that from this verse, the question or the passage, uh, the question is, what about Jesus? Because Jesus came with many signs and wonders, and Jesus was introducing a new covenant. So how is it that Jesus shouldn't be considered a false prophet? And, and that's a good question. Obviously, the Jews of Jesus' day considered him to be a false prophet, and they eventually uh, sought to execute him because of that. And what we need to understand first, theologically, is that the Lord who is giving this command through Moses is Jesus himself. So the, the one who is the lawgiver is the one who came uh, and announced a new covenant, The one who set up the old covenant is the one who initiated a new covenant through the sacrifice of his blood. And not only that, but I think really the the linchpin in all of this is understanding what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus declared to his audience, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. See, when Jesus was performing signs and wonders uh, before all the people, he didn't do the second part of this warning, if you look back up in verse 2, where it says the false prophet does signs and wonders, and then he says, let us go after other gods. Jesus never did that. He kept the law perfectly. And he was a Jewish man who lived out a Jewish life perfectly. If you can remember in John 17, during Jesus's high priestly prayer, he he says something that's quite interesting, and it trips up a lot of people. You'll run into Jehovah's Witnesses and other people who really like to point this out because they think it's a gotcha verse for Christians like us. But Jesus says um, he calls his Father the only God, the one true God. Now, Jesus was a devout, um, faithful man in every sense. He was the perfect man because he was also God in flesh. So he was 100% man and 100% God. And he was modeling before the people 
perfect allegiance to God. He lived a perfect life and had absolute allegiance to God in all that he did. And he is also that God. Now, it's kind of like a a thing that makes your brain do a hiccup, uh, or you get like a a brain freeze when you try to think about it, because um, Jesus didn't have just one nature like you and me. And we get into trouble when we start thinking that Jesus was a man, period. He was a man, but he's also God. And and so we have to consider that in every faucet of Jesus's life. And in his life that he lived, as he was performing signs and wonders, he was also living out a perfect life from the Old Covenant. And then he went to the cross as the final Old Covenant sacrifice that initiated a new covenant. That's what's going on in Jesus's life, and that makes uh, everything he did completely unique um, and and perfect in every way. So hope that answers the question. You can uh, throw in another question uh, if you have one that would maybe clarify some of the things I just said, and we'll get to it. But the next question, uh, Mark will answer, and I'll read that one, read that one off, and then let him take a few swings at it. It is, how does someone balance the obligations of obeying God's command of giving and giving out of pure joy from the heart? The tithing taught in the Old Testament is so prevalent in our vocabulary now, it's hard to think outside that and not to do it because of compulsion, but rather joy. Well, that's a good question. And you know, the way I grew up as a uh, child, we were taught the principle of tithing and that if you're not giving uh, 10%, uh, you're not doing what's right. And, and I, I totally understand the heart of what's asked here. And how do we, how do we give um, out of... Sorry, I thought I muted my phone, but I didn't. Um, how do we give out of a joyful heart instead of... Uh, in, in grudge or uh, not even enjoying it, and how, how does all of that work? Now, some of the verses, especially here in Corinthians, uh, where it talks about giving um, out of joy and love for God. Now, I'm going to refer to you if you are needing more information. Tyler and Jeremy both did recently a uh, talk on, or not a talk, a um, session on Thursday, uh, two Thursdays in a row, they did it on giving. One out of how what, how we understand the Old Testament and how that bleeds into our understanding of the law and how we uh, why the ties were all there. Jeremy did a great job covering that, and then um, Tyler covered the New Testament and why we give and how we give, and addressing just how we understand it is really understanding and and getting from our teachers now out of compulsion gives the understanding that you it's external so someone has pushed you or taught you to believe a certain way of thinking and a lot of times that's not done in a ill-mannered way or a way that would cause them to uh, for us to think that they're doing something wrong they're just mistaken on how we understand to give God does command us to give. That is a fact in the New Testament. The reason that we give and how we give is, I think, where we truly misunderstand. Uh, Why we give is to glorify and honor God in what he has commanded us to do. 
the amount in which you give does not uh, get you greater position with God, does not get you a more recognition. Actually, Jesus teaches the exact opposite in the Gospels when we have the, the poor woman that comes and, and gives her might, which is a very insignificant amount of money. And you had other men and, and people coming and pouring out great riches uh, into the church uh, offering plate, if, if you will. And God pulls his disciples aside and makes a note of the woman and how she gave. And she gave out of a right heart and a desire to honor God. She didn't give out of, she gave out of what she could afford, which is very minimal. And she gave with a pure heart and a heart that desired just to give to God in a right manner. And God made sure to make an example of her in a positive way as this is the heart of giving. That we give in a manner that pleases God for his glory. And the reason we give is that is the way God has designed his mechanism for the church to run today. The church cannot run uh, without the giving of the members of the the body, the group of people that gather. The the pastor can't stay on staff, and we can't keep the lights open, and all the things we just mentioned with the the new fundraiser and and the nice things that we have. All of this stuff is because of the gifts of uh, the members of the church. And so God has chosen that mechanism for the church to be sustained. And so we get our joy and we get our desire out of obedience. And when we talk about a tenth or not a tenth, all of that stuff, that's not talked about in the New Testament. You give with what God has given you. And if God has given you much, give, give as much as you can. And there's not an amount on that. And if you're struggling, you still need to give. But God doesn't look at the person that's doing well and the person that's not and and looks at their gifts and says, I'm going to be more pleased with one or the other. His desire is to see your heart. And God will bless the gift. And that is what we need to understand as as believers is God set up the mechanism that this is how we function. We give in this way. And our heart is to be pleased because we have obeyed him and be, we give because we love him. It's the same idea that we get that we go share the gospel. We go out and share the gospel because we love God and love uh, the things of God. And the command of God is to go out and share the gospel. We don't share the gospel initially because we love the people of the world. We do it because we love God, and a result of that is we care for the people of the world. The same thing goes with giving. We give because we love God, and the result of that is joy in our giving. Okay, before we do the third question that was sent in um, ahead of time, Dean asked if the giving for the fundraiser should be labeled fundraiser or labeled reserve. Label it fundraiser. That would be great on our online portal for giving. If you go to paysonbiblechurch.com slash give, uh, when you open up that portal, there will be a drop down there and you can select graduation fundraiser. So if you give that way, make sure you select graduation fundraiser. If you give in person, somehow through the mail or in the box or whatever, just label it graduation fundraiser. That would be perfect. All right. The third question that was sent to us ahead of time, uh, Tyler's going to go for 
Verses like Malachi 3.10 and Luke 6.38 have been used in my upbringing to motivate giving. These sound like God will give you back more than you can give. Can you explain what is meant by these verses? All right. I will go ahead and read Malachi 3. I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to read Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Um, before I do that, one of the, the distinctives of our, our hermeneutic, our understanding of Scripture and how we interpret Scripture as a church, is that we see a, a distinction between Israel and the church. And so we have to recognize that this is a passage that's being written to, spoken to, to Israel. So I'll go ahead and read those verses. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And so what's going on here in the context is that Israel had just brought in a a rather small harvest as a result of them um, robbing God and and not doing what they had been commanded to. Remember in our our teaching time, we had talked about different aspects of the law, the, the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and part of the civil law of Israel, for Israel, um, as a, a theocratic nation under God, is that they were to pay a tithe. And that tithe was to go to providing for the Levites. Because remember, again, the Levites didn't receive a portion of land. The Levites were to live off of what was brought in as a tithe from the other tribes. And so in not doing that, not obeying God in that manner, um, God had had punished them, had excited judgment on them. And then here he was... Um, challenging them to to repent and to come back and to uh, give the full tithe and to see how he would restore what they had lost. The second verse that was mentioned there was Luke six thirty eight, and this comes in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. When we think of the Sermon on the Mount, we often think of Matthew five through seven, but this is a, a parallel passage. And right before this, we read of the the golden rule, which is completely radical and revolutionary um, in in Christianity, to Christianity. It's something that is, is set apart. And while a lot of atheists will often say, oh, no, that's that's been around for, for millennia. Everybody has their own version of the golden rule. Well, before this, the golden rule was kind of flipped around. It wasn't do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It was don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. So it, it seems like a, a slight adjustment, but it's really huge. Um, I don't want anybody to, to slap me. I don't want anybody to rob from me. I don't want anybody to cheat me. And so if I don't do those things, then I would be fulfilling the, the other commandments. But Jesus flipped that on its head. He said, you do unto others what you would have them to do unto you. So going back a little bit, I want to start in verse 27. Again, Luke 6 27. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Again, revolutionary, because the thought before this was to not do bad to those who hate you. Well, that's not as easy as doing good to those who hate you. And the thought that came along with that was, if I don't do bad to them, then they won't do bad to me. Um, it's this whole idea of, of retribution, of, of giving out 
um, of getting what you give out. We talked about this last Sunday in uh, Deuteronomy, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Um, and that was the, the common conception. But Jesus, again, here, verse 28, he says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Again, this is radically different, revolutionary. Um, and the verse that we're looking at is in the context of this. Um, going on, 32 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. He looks at the world. He looks at those who aren't his sheep, who aren't his followers. And he says, well, they love people who love them. They lend to people who lend to them. That's not any different. We are to be set apart. We are to be different. Um, you are to hate or love those who hate you. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Uh, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to, ungrate, to ungrateful and to evil men, which includes all of us. We're all ungrateful, evil, evil men. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. It doesn't say heaven there, but just as your Father is merciful. 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Again, in the context, we're talking about to, to other men. So if you judge other men, they're going to retroactively judge you. If you pardon other men, they're going to pardon you. And if you don't do that, then they're going to do the same because that's our, our human nature to, um, to do unto others what they do to us um, because we are, we're sinful men. So keep that in mind as we read verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, we have a, a tendency, or at least a, a lot of people in our culture today have a tendency to take this verse and to apply it to God. But this isn't talking about giving to God. It's not talking about God giving to us. Um, again, in context, it's talking about giving to, to others, to those who are ungrateful and evil men, to those who we are to love, who hate us. Give, and it will be given to you. They, not God, but they, will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So um, imagine you were living in first century Jerusalem. You would take a basket down to the, the local grocery store, and they would fill it up with stuff for you, and you'd walk away. Well, if you had a, a really good vendor, then they would push it down. They would shake it out. They'd make sure that you're getting everything in there that you want to get in there. When I go to 7-Eleven, I do that with my Slurpees. I sit there and I pound it down on the table, and then I refill it up so that I can get more for my money. Um, same kind of concept here. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So again, this is in the context of the golden rule, not talking about how we will give and God will bless us for giving. Kind of like Mark talked about, that's not what God is is about. He's concerned about our heart he wants us to get with a joyful heart with a cheerful heart with the right motives okay so we are um, not exactly getting a ton of questions that have to do with deuteronomy acts or giving and that's okay uh that's all right um we are here to to answer questions and so one that was emailed to me this week that was slightly um 
No, it's not really off topic because it has to do with Jews and, uh, you know, what's Deuteronomy about if not Jewish people? So uh, the question was from Joe, and Joe was asking, when a Jewish person becomes a Christian, is that person still Jewish? And it's an interesting question. There are lots of different takes that people have on that and how that plays out. I'd say the first thing to uh, say is that there are two ways that we talk about Jewish uh, people and things. One way is to talk about it in a religious sense. The other way, though, is to talk about it in an ethnic sense. So ethnic Jews are those who are... uh, you know, of the 12 tribes of Israel who are descended from this ancient people who have lived in the Middle East, who have distinctive characteristics and whose DNA would uh, tie them to that group of people. And um, ethnically, culturally, Jewish is one thing. And then you have, as a separate idea, is religiously Jewish. Now, we don't live in a great time to see what uh, religious Judaism should look like. Because religious Judaism, as defined in the Old Testament, should look like all kinds of feasts, all kinds of pilgrimages, all kinds of sacrifices and offerings. There should be high priests, there should be a temple, there should be all all sorts of things that we don't see today because uh, Judaism has been so attacked, well, and and Jewish people have been so attacked through the years. So um, what we typically mean when we talk about religious Judaism today is somebody grew up, they went to synagogue or whatever, they didn't really understand much of it, they didn't really like that much of it, but, you know, they didn't eat pork and they didn't eat lobster and they uh, observed uh, Shabbat, you know, when the sun would go down on Friday night and all that stuff, and it was just a part of their culture, so they call themselves religiously Jewish, but it's really more like culturally Jewish. There are some people who take it really seriously, who do try really hard to maintain all of the uh, Old Testament laws as much as they can, but so many of them uh, don't, okay? Now, when a Jewish person comes to faith in Christ, it's typical for that person to be called a Messianic Jew. If that person was devoutly Jewish, either by culture or ethnicity or religion or a mix of all of that, and then becomes a believer, that person is called a Messianic Jew or a Messianic Jew. I don't know what I said earlier. I might have said Messianic Christian. I meant to say Messianic Jew. Uh, meaning that person um, is, a, is coming from a Jewish background, yet has now professed faith in the Messiah uh, who was to come for the Jewish people, and then, of course, to all the world. So that person can be called a Messianic Jew. In fact, where I'm from in Missouri, over near St. Louis, there's a place called the Midwest Messianic Center, And that is a Christian organization that was founded by a former Jew who's now a believer, and their main outreach is to Jewish people. We don't see many of those in Utah (laughs) um, because we don't have very many uh, Jews in Utah, but we we do see it in other parts of the world, and there are organizations like Jews for Jesus and others who see that as their main ministry, and they uh, wish to have other people, uh, Jewish people, become believers in the Messiah. Um, I do want to read, though, a little bit from Romans 2, where it talks about this identification with Judaism. Paul wrote, "'If you call yourself a Jew,' And rely on the law, and boast in God, and know His will, and approve what is excellent, and you're a uh, guide to the blind, you're a teacher of children, do you teach yourself while you teach others? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? 
You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he goes on to say, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So the idea here in Romans 2 is that if someone is going to identify as a Jew, that person needs to think about what he's identifying with. Are you identifying as a Jew because you're so righteous and you keep the law and you're God's chosen, but then you just live your life in rebellion to God and your heart's never been circumcised? The flesh of your heart, that's sin, that's all bound up in your spirit, that's not, not, that's not been removed, you haven't been purged by the blood of Christ, then you're not really a Jew. You're just someone who's outwardly performing good works. So Paul's making a case here that the perfect Jew doesn't exist. They are all breakers of the law, and that's why they should believe in their Messiah, so that way they can be redeemed and truly counted as righteous. Okay? Uh, we had a question on here from Lizzie about 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. She needs help understanding the man who was handed over to Satan in 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. It says, for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved. What do you got, Tyler? All right, so 1 Corinthians 5, that's uh, the chapter that talks about church discipline in regards to this man who uh, was immoral with his father's wife. And in verse 5, Paul writes, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And that is a, a confusing phrase. And I don't know that we necessarily have a, a definitive answer to that. A couple of understandings that we could take from that is that um, he would be excommunicated to Satan's realm, so outside of the church, into the world, and that that would cause him or, or draw him to uh, a repentance to be desiring the fellowship of the the church, of the, the body of Christ. Um, or that he was physically handed over to Satan to reduce further discipline from from God. And I had in my Bible written next to that Psalm 83, 16. And I am in Isaiah. I don't know how I did that. So Psalm 83, 16. I'll go ahead and read that as soon as I can get there. It says, Fill their faces with dishonor that they may seek your name. And so, again, I think that is a, a prayer to, um, to God to allow people to, to be drawn to him, to, to seek him more closely and to um, have a desire to be in the, the fellowship. Um, but there are other occasions where we have this same, same concept in view. In, in 1 John 5, it talks about um, a sin that leads to death. And so we know that there's a sin that, that leads to death and whether or not that's in Christ or out of Christ um, is a little bit ambiguous. Ambiguous. Um, then later in 1 Corinthians 11, going through the, the Lord's table, it says that some of you 
have taken over this in an unworthy manner, and because of that, you are asleep. And so, again, is that somebody who's in Christ and or who's out of Christ? And how do we understand that? How do we interpret that? I think it's uh, same kind of concept here. Either they're excommunicated to Satan's realm, or they're physically handed over to Satan so that um, they can go home and and be with the Lord, and their their chastening would cease. That's all you got. <laughs> uh, there was a question that was texted in this week too that had to do with the flesh, and the question was: when we read about the flesh in the New Testament, and it talks about uh, how the flesh is a hindrance, essentially, in the Christian life, when it has all this talk about the flesh, is that merely physical, talking about our skin, or is there something more to it? So, better up, Mark. Um, well, we have a couple different scriptures to look at. Uh, it talks about it really a lot in the New Testament, uh, but a few to, to look at. There's there's uh, Romans eight, and then also in Galatians uh, chapter number five, uh, Paul here is endeavoring to teach uh, believers how we walk in the Spirit, and and. This is, again, remember, these are being written oftentimes to new believers. It's written to a newly beginning church. The church has not been around a long time. And so Paul is describing on how our flesh and how the Spirit war with one another. This is a new concept, a new idea. And so Paul goes into the understanding. And and in in chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit... And you shall not carry out the de- uh, the desires of the flesh. And then in verse uh, 19, it, it goes on and talks about what these uh, different desires are and how the, the 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 deeds of the flesh are carried out and what they look like. So, in in some ways, these are external views and something that we see externally. It's not talking about our skin. Okay, this is not what it's talking about. It is talking about our sin nature, our desire to do sinful things is what the flesh is referring to here. It's not talking morally about the, the covering of our body. It is talking about our sin nature. And Paul here is describing how we need to walk in the nature of Christ and live in the nature of Christ. And the two of them war against each other. Paul talks about it elsewhere. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do. And that is referring to this constant war of the flesh and the spirit. And so to answer the question as far as is it merely just skin? No, it is definitely a it's an evident view of our sinful nature is what the flesh is referring to here. And so anytime you see, or for the majority of the times you see the flesh and the spirit talked about, it is a sinful nature versus a nature that uh, would walk uh, after God's nature. Okay, my wife asked, um, what does it look like, practically speaking, to seek first the kingdom of God? She said that, I brought that up during the first lesson on giving, which I don't remember, but I guess I'll trust you since I have to live with you. <laughs> but um, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? I want to start back with the verse in um, Psalm 27, and there's a song that was written uh, with this verse in mind. 
One thing have I asked for that I will seek after. I, I missed a word, a very important word. Let me back up. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So this is a psalm of David written you know, some 1,000 years before the time of Christ. And what was on his heart was to be with the Lord in his temple, to inquire of him and to gaze upon his beauty. That's something that God has wrought in the heart of all of his people from the beginning of creation is a desire of him, to a desire to follow after him, to know him, to glorify him and to honor him in all that we do. And in the old covenant, there was this aspect of um, just not being able to uh, fully connect or to fully have hope. There was a, a missing aspect of um, certainty as we compare it to today. You know, we are just so privileged to live on this side of the cross after the incarnation of Christ and his perfect life and death, to have justification uh, being um, totally sealed, ready to roll with the resurrection of Jesus. We have our certainty wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus. It says in Romans 4 that he was raised for our justification. And, and so we have this element now that none of the old covenant people of God had. And because of that, you see in the Old Testament that when God's people would die, they would go to the grave. They would, wouldn't go to heaven, they would go to the grave. It wasn't until after Jesus finished the work that those Old Testament saints were released to be in the presence of God. If, if they could have gone to the presence of God before that, then Jesus never would have needed to die. But that final sacrifice came, and because of that, they were able uh, to go be in the presence of God. And as we think about what Jesus taught us uh, leading up to seek first the kingdom, um, Matthew 4, uh, that's just a little bit before seek first the kingdom, which is Matthew 6.33, Matthew 4, it says Jesus began his ministry by saying this in verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first thing Jesus said in his earthly ministry was that the kingdom was at hand. The one who's getting ready to teach us, seek first the kingdom, announced his ministry by saying the kingdom is at hand. As he began the Sermon on the Mount, he uh, said this amazing statement, um, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but if your righteousness isn't greater than the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never even enter it. And so we're starting to get an idea here that there's like an already and not yet aspect at play. In chapter 6, that same sermon, Jesus says in verse 33, seek first his kingdom. In chapter 7, continuing on in that same sermon, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Uh, it's a promise that if we're seeking after God, we're going to find God. And so to just a fundamental understanding of this verse, 
is that God brings about a desire in the hearts of his people to seek after him, that as we seek, it is the promise of Jesus that we will find, that as God draws us, he's going to give us himself. He's not going to just put that hunger and that thirst in us and not fill us. He will absolutely fill us. And part of that, an aspect of that, filling, is that we are given the hope of heaven in Jesus, that as he he puts that in us to seek after him, and as he gives us the food for us to munch on that fills our tummies spiritually, a major aspect of that is hope. And we have the certainty of hope because of, of Christ and his finished work, because of who he is, because of what he did, and uh, we will not be left empty-handed in seeking after the kingdom. Okay? Well, we're out of questions. So, um, let's see. Well, we're coming up on 8 o'clock. Um, did you guys have anything to add to that, or did you have any other thoughts from anything else we've been discussing? Anything else to talk about while we just sit here and people look at us, huh? <laughs> um, while you were saying that, I was just reminded of Romans 3.11. Uh, well, 3.10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. 11 says, There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. And so just on that, you mentioned before it could get in, uh, that God is one who gives us that desire to seek after him. So on our own, in our flesh, we don't seek after him. Jeremy did a great job talking about that on Tuesday, right, in our Bible study class on how God grants repentance to some, but not necessarily to all. Okay, so now we have two questions. <laughs> all right, um, so Peyton, I, I was ready to answer your question, but then it looked like it got deleted, so then that's why I skipped it. So we'll go back and answer Peyton's question on Hebrews 9. Okay, that's, this is a kind of a challenging one. Hebrews 9.17 is where her question comes from. And uh, you guys, if you want to maybe turn to Deuteronomy 12.16, Stacy's got a question from Deuteronomy 12.16. So I can take Peyton's, and then I'll throw um, Deuteronomy 12 at you guys. Um, she's asking what it means to be cut off from God, as is the warning in Deuteronomy twelve sixteen. So in Hebrews 9, um, I'll read starting at verse 15. It says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Uh, Therefore, verse 18, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Okay, I think in the... um the question, Peyton, if I remember from earlier, yours didn't say will, it said covenant in verse 17, and that really changes the way that this reads. Uh, you know, we understand what a will is much more readily than we understand what a covenant is in our culture. And in this context, it might be the same word for covenant. I didn't pull up my, my Greek on that. But the idea is clearly a will, because what's being said is that Okay, a man who you know has his possessions and has uh, certain things that he wants to give to people when he dies, he needs to establish some sort of a covenant or will so that when he dies, those things will be given to the ones whom he wants to receive it. And uh, this 
concept is being applied to the death of Christ. When it says in verse 17, a will takes effect only at death, it's saying what we already know, that um, you know the will doesn't go into effect until that person dies. All right? Um, it says it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. We get that. Verse 18, though, is the spiritual point behind this. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. The first covenant, that's the one we've been studying on Sundays with Moses, the, the law, the Old Testament law. That's what the first covenant is. And it was um, inaugurated with blood. It wasn't, it wasn't inaugurated without blood. It was inaugurated with blood. For, verse 19, when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. So Moses, when he received the law from God and preached it to the people, they were also slaughtering animals. They were killing animals and pouring out blood. It was inaugurating that law with blood. That was the way God kicked things off with the law. Verse 21, And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. So this is what was established when that first covenant was inaugurated. When the law was kicked off, it was established that blood was necessary. All right? And this is all leading up then to uh, the new covenant. Verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not only or not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, not to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So going back to the will analogy, the idea is that the first covenant has died. The old covenant has died. And the will then, what's left? Well, Jesus is the one who has come and fulfilled that law and entered into heaven to give us, all the way back to your original question, to give us back in verse 15, our eternal inheritance. Our inheritance is now available because that old covenant has died, and what's left for us is perfect righteousness that was earned on our behalf by the work of Jesus given to us that we might have hope for eternity, the gift of heaven where Jesus is, not uh, only in the future, but where Jesus is now, making intercession for us, having sacrificed himself once for all, that we might receive all the benefits of the inheritance at the death of the old covenant. All right? Long answer. Sorry about that. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 16. Stacy asks, it talks about not eating any of the blood 
and God tells them that uh, his people will be cut off from him. What does that mean? Did it mean be killed or kicked out of the promised land or something else uh, like they won't be in heaven with him? What does it mean to be uh, cut off? You guys ready to take a crack at that one? Go ahead, Tyler. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you serious? Neither one of you are yeah. ready to jump in? Yeah, I couldn't find cut off that passage. Let's see. How does that Jeopardy theme song goes? <laughs> Where does it say cut off? <laughs> Oh. It talks about it talks about not eating blood in that passage. I'm having a hard time finding where it talks about being cut off. Oh, yeah, so. that's that's what I was struggling with myself. So I'm trying to search the text and, <laughs> and figure that out. Stacy, 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 we need clarification here. We uh, have a point of order in our meeting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see. We cut off from the people. I'm not seeing that there. In that region either. So we'll, we might have to come back to that one. We'll wait for clarification. Jeremy, maybe you can talk on Deuteronomy 23.1. I don't even want to know what it says. <laughs> no, you don't. The law says some funny stuff. So, um, yeah. Oh, actually, um, this, is, this is kind of applicable. Uh, it's, let's see, it's not in 23.1. But do you remember <laughs> this last, uh, you can read 23.1 on your own time. Uh, if there's a children's Bible available, give it to your children. But um, I was talking about on Sunday having to do with justice, where it talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and all of that. And I had mentioned in there that nowhere in the law is it ever a, a punishment for a criminal to receive his eye being removed or to have his tooth removed or um, his foot cut off, or something like that. So when Moses says, look, justice uh, will be administered by the leaders, that means if someone was wanting to uh, have someone else's eye removed by the ramifications of the law, then his own eye should be removed. Um, Well, that's not even an option in the law, because that was never one of the punishments set forward. Uh, In fact, there was never a time in the law where the punishment of a crime was mutilation of a body part, except for one verse. There's only one sin that somebody could do in all of Israel that would result in the mutilation of a body part. And uh, Deuteronomy 23.1 reminded me of it. Um, But you know what? Maybe I should just let you figure that one out. We're going to cover it here pretty soon. Uh, On May 10th, I think, is when we're going to cover that. Um, And it's similar to 23.1, but it's... uh, but it's not 23.1. So that'll be an interesting little Bible trivia thing for you to do on your own time and figure that out. Okay. Um, well, st- ah, Stacy. Stacy says maybe her notes are askew. Good job using that word. Great vocabulary word, Stacy. Askew. All right. Well, it is 10 after 8. I'm not seeing any other questions. Do you guys have anything else that you'd like to announce or say or encourage with or clarify or anything like that? I am excited to get back here and see you guys. So that will be good. That's all I got. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we will um, on May 3rd, Sunday, May 3rd, we will be getting back together in this building at 10 o'clock. Uh, You'll be getting more information on that. We will be following all kinds of uh, health guidelines that will make the experience kind of strange. So, um, so yeah, just be prepared for that mentally and emotionally, that it's not going to be the same, but we're going to get closer, okay?
And we will have a resurrection-themed Sunday on May 3rd. So this Sunday, which is the 26th, I believe, this Sunday, 10 a.m., not 9 a.m., but 10 a.m. on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. Uh, you just go to our channels, and you'll see us. 10 a.m. on Sunday, we'll have song time and, and uh, sermon. And uh, we'll be in Deuteronomy again. Mark will be preaching. And then next week, Tuesday night, we'll have our Acts study. Then, after that, things change. Sunday, May 3rd, 10 a.m. at this building. We'll still be online, so for those of you who don't want to uh, come to the building who aren't comfortable with that, we'll still be online in the same way, okay? I forgot to mention that earlier. That's an important point. Um, But we will be here with people. And then Wednesday, starting Wednesday after that, May 6th, we're going to go back to Wednesday nights at 7 like we were doing before. And we're going to continue our Acts study, all right? Uh, just as well with that, um, on, on Sunday when we get back here, uh, the coin will be uh, open um, for maybe mothers that are having children that are having a hard time that would normally be in the nursery. The coin will be open for them to go in there. The monitor will be on so they can see and still hear. Um, but as Jeremy said, we're not going to have nursery. But we do still want to make it available so that you can uh, hear but also be able to take care of your uh, your kids um, if they're you know, not being able to sit still. Uh, we are going to um, try to get some um, maybe some coloring pads and so on so some of the younger kids can... Um, have something to do while they're while, while we're in the main service where they would normally be in nursery, um, and then make sure you bring your singing voice. We're looking forward to hearing you sing. Uh, these are going to be resurrection songs, which uh, for any believer should be uh, some of your favorite songs. Talking about Christ arose and He lives. We do not serve a Savior that's uh, dead or just uh, sitting on a shelf, but He is alive. And, and intercedes for us, and we uh, we are excited to to sing that, and then obviously do the uh, Lord's table, uh, and again very excited about that. So, um, looking forward again to seeing you guys in person here very soon. Okay, three quick things. Sorry, uh, Stacy said it's Leviticus seventeen ten through thirteen. Yeah. Um, I will have to do a little more research on that and get back to you because I don't know 100% just by reading it uh, where God says he will cut people, he will cut someone off from the people if that person handles blood wrongly. Though uh, my gut reaction says it probably means multiple things. Uh, There are definitely instances in Israel where God just cut people off by smiting them. And then there are other times uh, where it was the duty of the leaders in Israel to put somebody outside the camp, so to speak. And so I'll get back to you on that one, Stacy. Uh, quick questions about uh, church services. Paid and asked, can we still bring food to church? Uh, you can bring food to church, but we don't want it to be shared with people. Uh, a meal probably wouldn't be appropriate either. <laughs> so if you're talking like a turkey dinner, uh, Wisdom says no, but if you're talking like a snack or whatever, that's fine. You know, just let's not share food with people. We don't want to do that just yet, okay? Um, but but if you have something you normally snack on or whatever, that's that's cool. And Lizzie asks, are we going to have prepackaged bread and wine? It won't be prepackaged, likely. However, it's going to be handled by a limited number of people who will be practicing uh, all the health guidelines. They will be wearing gloves. 
and um, we'll be sure that no sick people touch it, okay? Um, we will announce how that's going to be handled as we get more information. It They make these little juice packets that come with the bread on it that's all wrapped together. Um, we don't have those, and I think those are kind of weird anyway. Um, I just one man, but I think it's strange. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna try to do communion relatively like normal. However, the number of people who uh, prepare it will be minimal, and they will all be expected to wear gloves and to be really safe when doing that. Okay. All right. As well with the <clears throat> we talked about, we're gonna probably put the bread into the same juice cups. Uh, so we'll so not you're the ones with the juice. yes not <laughs> not gonna have soggy bread but so it'll be the you'll have the juice cups and then those same cups that we use there uh, we're gonna have a platter full of those so that way you're just touching your your container with that you're not reaching into all of the the bread so that's one way we're trying to make sure that that's a little little more uh, safe in that way. Okay, Tyler, you want to pray? Close us in prayer. Go for it. <laughs> Mark, <Okay>. you want to pray? <laughs> the other Tyler. All right, Lord, let's uh, thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for um, the time that we get to spend in your word, the time that we uh, get to uh, just relay information to our people, Lord, and I pray for that it was helpful tonight. And Lord, I pray that uh, our people would uh, continue to ask questions and to stretch us as elders and to stretch their own thinking and and really try to study the Word of God and come up with questions, Lord. And I thank you for our people and, and that they do that. And Lord, we will endeavor to uh, answer any questions. And as Jeremy said tonight, Lord, um, if we don't know, we will uh, find out at another time. So, Lord, again, I just thank you for our people. I pray that you would continue to keep us safe and healthy. And when we get together here in a little over a week, uh, Lord, that reunion will be sweet and uh, uh, very uh, just enjoyable together, Lord. And again, we thank you and love you for, for all that you have done for us and continue to do. In your name, amen.